to um, you know, Ask the Expert. We're very pleased to have Holger Russ with us today talking about generation of stem cell-derived functional thymic cells for research and cell therapy. And just a little uh, backstory about him or a little bit of his bio is that um, the emphasis of Dr. Russ's research is on understanding the underlying molecular and cellular mechanisms resulting in autoimmune type 1 diabetes or T1D in humans with a focus on insulin producing beta cells. During his career, Dr. Russ successfully worked on different aspects of T1D, which led to several original and important contributions in the fields of beta, thymus, and stem cell biology. After uh, completing his diploma thesis in Heidelberg, Germany, he obtained his PhD from Sackler uh, School of Medicine at Tel Aviv University, Israel, followed by postdoctoral work at the Diabetes Center at, the, at UCSF. He established his independent research program at the Barbara Davis Center for Diabetes at UC Anschutz uh, Medical Campus, and recently moved to join the Diabetes Institute at the University of Florida Gainesville to further expand his research program. His lab employs state-of-the-art human stem cell technology and primary human cell culture with genome engineering approaches to model and potentially treat patients suffering from diabetes. Dr. Russ's long-term goal is to understand why T1D develops and develop novel intervention and treatment modalities, maintain a productive and extramural funder research program, and train and enable the next generation of scientists focused on T1D research. Um, uh, welcome, um, Holger. Thank you very much for joining us. Sorry, I just had to switch screens. And um, we're really looking forward to this talk. Thank you. Thank you so much for this um, kind introduction. Yeah. Um, that's right. That's that's the goal, basically, of my research. So today we're talking about generation of stem cell-derived functional thymic cells for research and also um, potentially cell therapy. And I see we are we're a small group, so if there's questions during the talk, feel free to to just chime in. Um, that might influence my my view on things. So to start off, the thymus is probably this one organ all I see here probably knew where it was and what it did, but a lot of people don't know that they had it. So it sits in the chest cavity right on top of your heart. And it's basically the key organ to establish your adaptive immunity and establish two things. First, positive selection, that T cells that come from the bone marrow migrate into the thymus, can recognize peptides mounted on HLA molecules and being recognized by TCR. And that's really critical in sensing later on foreign protein peptide compartments and activate immune system to basically recognize there's an infection. Um, the second part is negative selection. Now, when, when a T cell can interact and sense, there needs to be a strain on if a T cell reacts too strongly with peptides that are self, that are presented everywhere in our body. And, and one of the manifestation of when this process can go wrong is autoimmunity that basically a t-cell responds too strongly to self and um, autoimmunity ensues like in type one so the thymus is really key in establishing a, a, a diverse active but self-tolerant immune system um, as said recognizes pathogens but is tolerant to self um, and there are forms which, which prove that congenital athymic conditions exist resulting in T-cell uh, lymphopenia. 
where, where you see basically the absence of T cells and therefore individuals are prone to infections and so forth. So I have a kit here um, represented. I hope you can see my cursor. So fully active in the young, but as we age and with clinical interventions, the thymus involutes, naive T cell output um, declines. As said, when you, let's say, get chemotherapy, this further um, uh, accelerates this, this uh, uh, decline in naive T cell output. And we get over time as an individual um, uh, ages, a shift in the T cell phenotype from a naive to a more memory cell type. And with this, with impairment of the thymus or failure of the thymus, we have an increase in the risk for infections, increased cancer development, reduced responses to vaccines and predisposition to autoimmunity. So, um, yeah, I don't have an organ anymore. Uh, most of you probably either. Okay. So the question that we started off long time ago, actually during my, my, my postdoc time at, at UCSF, can we generate a functional human thymus? And why would we want to do this? And just some examples, and that hopefully gives the idea why we have been so keenly interested in, in understanding how we can replicate probably development of the thymus in the dish is that there are examples where we can use it. One can think of treating rare congenital diseases um, with just providing an autologous thymus, right, that provides at least partial reconstitution of the T cell education and adaptive immunity and therefore provides protection and, uh, and uh, 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 treatment modality for, for, for those babies. One can also think in, in cancer settings where there's a bone marrow transplant, where a lot of patients suffer actually from the lack of proper reconstitution of the immune system and therefore secondary infections that are very often lethal. Um, one could envision that co-transplantation of a thymus to restore at least partial immune system, again, can have tremendous upsides and patient benefit. Then, of course, you can think of a more broad approach that we will establish a human model system to actually study thymic function, T-cell development, and then probably can exploit this, this ability to generate specific T-cell uh, uh, populations. Um, we can also think of using this approach in a more broad regenerative medicine approach, probably in the allos setting where we think of, okay, can we generate in the sense of um, type 1 patients, can we generate a pancreas from a certain cell line and a thymus and then basically transplant that into an allogenic recipient, but trigger basically re-education of the immune system present in this patient to allow tolerance towards an allogenic graft. And then in the long run, right, there's also this idea that if you can rejuvenate the adaptive immune system, can you rejuvenate an older person in general? So um, all, I think, very interesting and uh, attractive approaches to wh why we want to do this. And how we started out is we used uh, human embryonic stem cells, pluripotent stem cells by pluripotent stem cells, um, has been used in a, in a lot of different settings, but basically two main uh, uh, attributes. One is the pluripotent stem cells. Uh, divide indefinitely and rapidly so we can make a lot of them. And if we know how, given the right cues, we can direct differentiation into any cell type found in the human body. And as you can see here, um, 
uh, a, a large part of my, my lab focuses on pancreatic beta cell, but also thymic epithelial and some motor neuron work we do too. So initially embryonic stem cells, then with Yamanaka and Takahashi's discovery, right, we can do induced pluripotent stem cells through reprogramming of um, uh, donor cells. And we can combine that now with genome engineering, which I won't go much into, but really allows us whatever you can think of engineering-wise, meaning knocking out a gene, overexpressing a gene, putting SNP configurations in, making reporters, um, is all feasible now, which gives us really this toolbox. So if we can make a functional cell type reproducible, we can really drive the, the, the discovery process. So how did we go about um, when we started to formulate protocols? We basically looked in development, the thymus, develops from the uh, endodermal germ layer through branching. And um, this is just from Sorn and, and, and Jim Wells, where you can see that in the endoderm, in the anterior um, part, in the third pharyngeal pouch, the thymus originates. And so can we mimic this in a stepwise manner? And it's been done for many different tissues. This has been done in a stepwise manner um, mimicking what we know in development, mostly from animal models, also a little bit from, from human development. And really the question is always, okay, we define, for example, here pluripotent stem cell and definitive endoderm. We use markers that we know that we trust that we make the right cell type. And as you can see, there's just three stages here, actually, because we don't have uh, particularly good reagents and uh, a handle on really looking at what defines a, a, a thymus along here, maybe some anteriorization we can still check. So what you need is HOXA3 is um, third financial pouch marker, I absent one, and then thymic epithelial progenitor cells are defined by FOXN1, HOXA3, and I absent as well. So when we go, this is 14 days. Um, so this work is basically uh, based on the postdoc work, which was really led by Audrey Parent, and I see you're here, Audrey. Hi. In <laughs> um, a cell stem cell paper using embryonic stem cells. But when I started my lab, we were really like, okay, we want to test if this is protocol works on many different IPS cell lines that we generated. Because classically, and this is not just for the thymus field, in many fields, is when a protocol is generated, it is kind of specific to a certain cell line can usually be transferred somewhat, but there can be stark differences within uh, pluripotent stem cell lines. So we set out to, can we use this protocol that has been published as a baseline, but then test a lot of signaling pathway modifications along the way and do that in conjunction and in parallel with multiple IPS cell lines to really have reproducible uh, a protocol. And Short answer is yes, we could. We could induce, uh, 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 define a protocol that gives us thymic epithelial progenitors reproducibly. The expression levels are not as high as we wish, um, but reproducibly. During the course of this study, we also uh, identified, as others have shown at that time, that CD205, a surface protein, together with APCAM, can be used to approximate um, thymic cells. And, and when we do this quantification, we can find that approximately 40, 45% of the cells at day 14 
adopt this thymic epithelial-like uh, progenitor state, at least by the markers we, 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 um, we use. So we established an improved thymic progenitor um, uh, protocol that works on many different lines. We've done that now in dozens of lines. But can those thymic epithelial progenitors give rise to functional thymic cells? So to do that, we use the model system, which is the nude mouse. So the nude mouse has the T-cell compartment, but doesn't develop an endogenous thymus. Now, if you take a fetal human thymus and transplant it into this mouse, the mouse T-cells will migrate into the human thymus and be educated. So it, it's a great model to test the competency of those TAP cells. And we ask, do text thymic epithelial cells develop, and is there mouse T cell development? So staining for our thymic markers, we find within the grafts within these human cells, APCAM CD2 or five positive cells, which indicate thymic, and we find developing text. Why can we say that? So TAPs in our system uh, express keratin eight, which marks these progenitors, but also later after further differentiation into text marks cortical thymic epithelial cell. Keratin-5 is in this context more specific. It labels medullary text and these progenitors go into become text, go through a double positive stage. So when you look here, we find a lot of keratin-8, which is expected, but we have distinct areas of keratin-5 positivity and some cells that are double positive, indicating this is an actively ongoing further differentiation of those cells. When we take the graphs out and we do qPCR, this is also published. We did also a bulk sequencing. You can see that our key marker Foxin one goes up. Air, important marker for negative regulation we will touch on later, does not change, but we got upregulation of keratin-5, keratin-8 stays the same as somewhat expected. And then other molecules important in T-cell selection and attraction, um, chemokines, are upregulated in the crafts compared to our controls. So great. This data basically indicated we can make, or we can make TAPs universally in vitro. We transplant them and they further differentiate into TACs. What about the T-cells? When we look at the T-cells, we find that there is areas of thymic cells surrounded by mouse CD3 cells. And we also find areas of developing T cells, meaning there are CD4 T cells and CD8. Some of them are double positive. We can take the grafts, make single cells and stand for CD8 and CD4. This is pre-gated on 3 and 45. And we find double positive cells. We can quantify that in, in many different uh, animals. Also, what we did too is to, to define if these T cells that are formed are actually diverse in repertoire. We did this um, TCR sequencing of CD3 cells isolated from blood. This is graft bearing, tap graft bearing, nude mice. You can see each bubble is basically a TCR. The smaller the bubbles and the more of them, the more diverse. This is just copied from their homepage. You can see in a wild-type mouse, it's very diverse. Um, the diversity is, uh, is enhanced compared to controlled nude mice, where we just have very fully understood but reported by others. There's a couple of T clones in the nude mouse, which just expand. Uh, we don't understand really well where they form and how. Okay, so 
this system we can also educate in this stem cell derived thymus mouse T cells. Okay, now taking a closer look when we did these studies, what we did next is we did single cell sequencing. And what we did is we took um, crafts from two different IPS cell lines and we compared them to a primary neonatal, uh, primary neonatal thymus. That's the same thymus, it was just prepared in two different ways. What you can see is that we can identify cells nicely, they cluster, we can use just um, uh, marker expression to define cell categories. Here are lots of T cells. Here is mouse host cells. And here are populations which we define as TAPs and TACs. And this is really the take home here is when we now look with the different colors, you hopefully can appreciate that the stem cell derived TACs mingle transcriptionally and are not distinguishable from the primary human text that we find in a neonatal thymus, both in this large population and this large population. There's also this population of only IPS-derived texts, which are probably earlier in development, at least that's what we believe. But again, we generate with this system cells that are transcriptionally indistinguishable from primary cells. Okay. We were, of course, happy with this. This is a quick first summary. Development of an optimized direct differentiation approach that works on multiple human pluripotent stem cell lines. We think this is important. The process takes 14 days. We reproduced some aspects of this in 3D uh, suspension-based uh, bioreactors, thinking of upscaling. Those tabs can further differentiate into techs. However, this takes months, right? And it's still a Xeno model. So, at this point, we were like, okay, can we define conditions that generate a functional tech in vitro, right? Um, obviously, next step. So we looked into the literature and people have shown that when they use fetal uh, thymine and they grow them either epithelial enriched or mesenchymal enriched, expand them and then re-aggregate them in an air liquid interface together with cord blood derived hemopotic stem cells, they get some function of the thymus back, indicating that these culture conditions would support the function of a mature or functional thymic epithelial cells. So we took exactly those culture conditions and just took our caps and put them in this air liquid interface. And we basically assessed do we get further maturation of those cells? And we used again the keratin-5 as a mark of medullary, CTEX, and development. And I hope you can appreciate in the tabs here, we only have the progenitor markers or CTEX marker. But in the S-talk after two to three weeks, we get pockets of MTEC-like cells and double positive cells, which indicate active development. Now, I want to point out, this is in the absence of T-cell progenitors which is by itself interesting. So this is a pretty easy system. So we also did some flow-based quantification. This is TAPS, this is STOs at two weeks. Um, there is class two expression, which is low, goes up. It's all against APCAM. There's the thymic marker, which is lower, goes up. And then we use a stem cell line that has a GFP knocked in and one allele of the uh, FOXN1 endogenous gene, and we can read out GFP, which in these experiments also goes dramatically up. So 
all in line with showing further differentiation into the phenotype we want to have. However, when you go and you define based on markers, right, it's just a like cell and the ultimate test is function. So we were thinking, okay, how can we introduce the components to test function, meaning T cell um, uh, development in the system? So we turned to literature and Ed Stanley uh, group recently published a protocol that generates hemopoietic lymphoid stem cell progenitors that are marked by CD34 and 45. And then um, Jim Wells group published a protocol a while back that allows the, the generation of splenogenic mesenchyme. And so through literature, okay, we, we needed the T cell compartment, but also there's a large body of literature that shows that uh, uh, mesenchyme has an important role in supporting the epithelial compartment of the thymus. So we set out to reproduce some of these studies I just mentioned, and we can effectively make CD34 and 45 cells, we can freeze them, and we can very effectively, 96% make mesenchymal cells, at least by PDGFR. We have some more data on this in the, in the paper. So then when we go ahead and we co-culture them, and this is now compared to primary human thymus, we get areas of keratin-8 and uh, keratin-5. Overall, these are not as structures that we would like to see. Uh, it's still thymus-like. It doesn't look like a thymus, unfortunately. But the marker expression that we would like to see is there. We can, of course, look at qPCR. And we find that actually FOXN1 is in this setting not upregulated. But I want to point out that this is basically now three types compare, comparing a, a multicellular organoid to the original tap. So there is probably enrichment. Um, probably an underestimation. So keratin-5 is, is, is remains same, but keratin-5 uh, goes up as well as DLL4, important for the specification of T-cell progenitors and class 2, uh, backing up our, our uh, flow-based data, shows that there is further maturation uh, within these stem cell-derived thymic organoid cultures. Now, what about the T-cell compartment, right, which we really care about? So we can gain on CD45 and then on pre-pro T-cell progenitor markers CD5 and 7. And from there, go into do those develop into 8 and 4. And as you hopefully can appreciate, this again, primary time and STOs, we get a double positive population as well as CD8 and some CD4. CD4 is um, in general... Uh, not as effective as we, we see in primary human thymus. We can, of course, also gate on um, TCR uh, rearrangement and surface as well as CD3. And when we do so, uh, it's even more evident that there are differences, but we get generation of the cell types that we would like to see, which indicates that, yes, we generate functional text in vitro. Now, um, with the emergence of CD4, we were also very interested in uh, further defining it. And um, when we stain some of these STOs, we find air protein. This is in certain areas, it's not throughout. And we also have some samples that are negative. But in the ones where we find it, we, we've done a lot of these stainings, um, it is present. That goes together with some of the qPCR data we have where air is uh, uh, critical for 
tissue-restricted antigen expression sporadic in, in, in thymine, and we find from different germ layers TRAs expressed. Um, so indicating that these STOs have some features key in negative selecting of potentially autoreactive uh, T cells that might develop in the endoorganoid. Okay. Um, other work has shown that uh, uh, negatively selected or T cells that are developing and undergo negative selection might express PD-1. And we find, although at very low levels, we find CD3 positive cells that also express PD-1. This is CYTOF data where we collaborated with the Homan at Mount Sinai, where we find um, uh, some PD-1 positive cells if we get on CD45, 33. Uh, similarly, when we look at CD4, CD25 gated, either in primary thymal, STOs, isotype, or FOXN1 positive cells, we find FOXN1 positive T cells within, which further indicates that they're features of, of negative regulation. Um, to further support this, we also did qPCR, and while in the thymus, this is two orders of magnitude or something higher, um, FOXP1 expression, we find specifically FOXP1 in STOs, while we don't see this in TAPs uh, as is expected. So with this, I hope I could convince you that we developed a, a STO system that supports tech and T cell development, and that it exhibits key markers of negative selection. So that kind of now gives us a handle to address a lot of questions we have and we're interested in. So. Can we combine genome engineering right to study biology in a strictly human isogenic context? Can we improve on existing humanized mouse models when you think of, okay, can we now really start to provide um, in an autologous manner, uh, uh, at least parts of an immune system in transplantation settings, cancer settings one could think of? Can we develop really like multiple organs on a chip, thinking of microfluidics, right? Then. Of course, there's a, a, a lot of thinking. Can we improve actually STOs by improving the cell we put in? I showed you earlier on that we, with the Fox uh, and one GFP report, we only make like 12% of the cells we actually want to make before we go in STOs. So there's a large uh, room for improvement there. Then of course, can we explore orphan disease in an autologous setting? And can we think of strategies allowing targeting of a wider patient population that you can move away from the individualized more to an off-the-shelf uh, approach that could help more people at a, a, at a more affordable price? Okay, um, that's my new lab at, at UF where I recently moved. This is still at the old place and really the key players uh, Stephen Ramos, who's now doing postdoc with Song Kim and Stanford, and Lucas, uh, a, a postdoc who is actually went into the industry now, and uh, undergrad student who helped throughout is now in NYU. Um, they have been really pushing this, those three people, the whole of the project. Uh, collaborators, of course, I want to thank organ donors and their families funding, and you for attention. And if if you're looking for a fun postdoc or any other position, contact me. I'm happy to take questions. Thanks. Thanks so much. That was an excellent uh, walkthrough of some really uh, detailed protocols you guys have been busy building. I would want, I'm, I'm kind of curious um, whether, oh, here's a bunch of questions. 
Um, I know we have uh, the CSO, uh, Dr. Bing Lim in the audience, and I wonder, um, you know, what, uh, if he has anything to, to offer, um, because their mission statement seems to be well aligned with some of these protocols you're building, as well as, you know, they're, they're targeting off the shelf solutions. So I didn't know if he wanted to unmute himself and ask a question. All good. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, loud and clear. How are you? How are you, Holger? Beautiful work. Thank you. I mean, the in vitro work is, is really, really interesting. And um, the protocol you, you have is, is also very rapid. And I'm very curious. Um, you're able to get the cells in 14 days? Yeah. Yeah, we, we are not... All my students and postdocs have not been super strict at sticking exactly to 14 days just out of convenience because so much is going on. But we can do it as early as 14 days. You can go up to day 19. We usually don't try to go longer. Um, but yes. And, and the CD205 is a very consistent marker for you to get the cells in the end? Yeah. Yes, we have been using it quite a bit. Um, we actually haven't done anything of, you know, sorting out and seeing which different populations to put together. Do we get increased efficacy or not? Yeah, so yes. I mean, you maybe That's have the bandwidth yeah. to do something like that. Yeah, I really like, I, I think it's a very important advance you have made in the in vitro. I think your idea of testing the function in vitro rather than putting into the complex in vivo system, which takes several weeks to emerge, as you know, from, from your previous mm -hmm. work. And this is really an excellent way. And I'm really looking forward to see as, as you add the different cell types and the modification, whether the efficiency will increase. And of course, you know, there's a lot of interest at the moment in this in vitro generation of, of T cell. And interestingly, you also observed that CD4 is more difficult to obtain. And uh, ah, yeah. do you have any it's, thoughts it's a... on, in, in the system, any thoughts on why the CD4 persisted to be more difficult to obtain? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's all class two based that we just don't get enough class do, two expression. Do yourselves express, that's what I was asking. Do you know what so you express we, class two? You know, it is uh, in, in, I think a lot of the approaches have been plagued by that. That, oh, <laughs> sorry. That limitations, yeah. Flow with Austin, have to train my graduate student <laughs> flow and stuff. <laughs> um, anyhow, what I'm saying is that, you know, we still see our differentiations are still not as consistent as we would like to see. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, I also think that this reminds me a lot of maybe 10, 15 years ago in the pancreas field where we, you know, we, we had some really encouraging data, but it was just a, a lot of experimental paradigms to test were still very challenging because we didn't have the consistency and the high level production of this on target cells. Right. And I, I think in the thymus where we're hitting similar uh, 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 challenges right now. So what I'm saying is that uh, I do think that a lot of optimization can still be done 
and that mm-hmm. will really accelerate the downstream approaches. But I do think that two key challenges of the systems are the class two consistent and high enough levels of class two, but then also committing HSCs towards a pre-pro T-cell faith. Mm -hmm. I I think those are the two key problems we face, right? Yeah, yeah. Agree with you. Um, Very nice work. And I look forward to see uh, your your further improvement on it. And and, uh, I'll get in touch with you. We can talk a bit more. Thank you so much. Sure, sure. No, I would love wonderful, to thank, thanks, wonderful thanks, presentation. Thanks, I'll, I'll yield thank the floor to other questioners. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, love to hear that crosstalk. We also have a question from Albert Hua, who's um, uh, at the NIDDK. He's a program director in the Division of Diabetes, Endocrinology, and Metabolic Diseases there. His question is, how many cells are needed to get the systems to work? And do only a subpopulation of TECs carry out the selection? Do the T cells escape negative selection simply because of the ratio of cells? It's a nice technical question. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. All of them are relevant. So how many cells are needed? We frequently do it in 24 wells. So it's low millions and you can get things going. Um, There's actually, I haven't thought of it extensively, but right, how do you do air liquid interface in a larger scale and we haven't experimented with this a lot but so what i'm saying is uh, cell number needed is relatively low it's a bit of a pain to align all the timing so we were also investing a little bit into freeze for to to make it easier on ourselves so then only subpopulation of techs carry out the selection likely yes it's still you know not as pure it doesn't look like a full-fledged thymus. So for sure, it's subpopulation driven. How this exactly works within thymic compartments, we don't understand too well. Um, a hint onto uh, Park et al., right? The science paper showed beautifully using single cell transcriptomics and actually also Audrey uh, subsequently that there are subpopulations of tag cells and when we compare the published data from Park to our in vitro generated stem cell text, we find at least some, most of those subpopulations as well. So in a sense, it's like I would say, probably nature does its thing and generate what is needed to, to fulfill function. Um, we certainly have ways to go to further improve that. Do the T cells escape negative selection? Yes, um, very interesting, right? Uh, we have a lot of ideas how to approach those questions. And of course, it's like mind boggling when you think of the millions of cells going through a thymus and being selected against, right? So how is just uh, the interaction of stochiatry working? I've, I think it's not very, very well understood. We have some ideas how we can use transgenic or not transgenic, but TCRs that have been defined by our colleagues, right? I think in the autoimmune space and also cancer space, how we can approach some of these uh, uh, questions just to understand, hey, when do you overload and negative selection just doesn't occur anymore because the interactions are not given on a numbers game. Yeah, it's all relevant and good questions which are on our mind. 
Audrey. Yeah, we just have Audrey Parent here from uh, UCSF. Hey, nice talk. It's really great to see the progress in the these new newer ver version of the differentiation protocol. Uh, so my question is about your air expressing cells. Um, I'm actually curious to to know if you saw them when you didn't have the the hematopoietic stem cells in there. We, we've been thinking for a long time that we need this crosstalk between T cells mm -hmm. and, and these steps to get them to express air. Is that something you saw in your system? Yeah, we haven't looked really hard. We were actually very surprised that we see this differentiation without the need for any T cell interaction, right? Like we just put them on this air liquid interface and they continue down their path. Now, again, um, we were surprised, right? And we see five and, and, and some other markers when we look at PCR. That was good enough for us. We were more like, okay, let's focus on the function, right? Because this is what people will ask us. So the answer is, I don't know conclusively because we haven't looked very hard. The air, that's why I pointed out, while we can find it in 60% or so of all STOs, you need to look. Okay, but the, you didn't look necessarily in the TEPs only without the... No, nah, we didn't, like, yeah, no, we didn't make a massive effort to look, no. Okay. Yeah, a super interesting question, of course. So many things to do. Um, just sort of like last question, I wondered if, um, you know, just want to do a little thought experiment and sort of, you know, kind of cast... Uh, that thought experiment towards the clinic. How would you, you know, imagine this kind of, um, you know, off the shelf version of these um, cells being engaged in the type one diabetes realm? So in the type one space, it's complicated, but mm -hmm. overall, <laughs> you can think of certain modifications to just reduce the complexity complexity of mismatching or matching, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, together, I don't know, maybe together with, uh, in collaboration with others, you can uh, get to that point of some kind of off the shelf solution. So yeah, at least I, I don't, you know, when I say off the shelf, it doesn't mean necessarily that it needs to be off the shelf for everybody, but if we can hit like let's say Endotype. a certain percentage of the a certain percentage of the population right that would be already great yeah i mean if you could hit certain endotypes right during the the prodrome that would be phenomenal so here's yeah, yeah, yeah. here's hoping um and um just you know lastly uh thank you for this wonderful talk in the interest of time you had a lot of support in the chat people thought it was wonderful and um, just uh, one more shout out. It looks like you're looking for, I think you said in the beginning, some postdocs. So if those are, are uh, people are interested, this is some phenomenal work and, and really exciting. So I guess reach out directly, correct? Absolutely. All right then. Okay, thanks again. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for having me. That was fun. Great. Thank you all,